Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching The Hash. I am Zach Seward. We got Jensen Assey and we got Sam Kessler. This is the guy who does all the tech coverage at Coindesk. He knows his stuff. And we're going to make him start the show. Sam, take it away. What do you got? Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Sad I missed the live hash and the alpaca. I don't know if people were watching, but that was insane. Um, anyway, let's start off um, with a long-awaited launch of an L1 SWE, which for those of you paying attention is one of two blockchains that functions using the move language. Basically, it was born out of Facebook's Libra stablecoin project. But anyway, we called in the first line a buzzy layer one project in this article that Liz, our Coindesk reporter, wrote about it, but it has not launched without controversy. It has a $2 billion valuation, a token um, that kind of has this like confusing distribution. I don't know who it went to, this um, sweet token. They didn't do an airdrop, which is something that's kind of the norm these days. Also, its speeds were slower than its main competitor um, called Aptos, another one of these Facebook, um, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, birth. I don't know. It came from Facebook. It's another one of those. It's kind of hard to explain how it, how it all comes together. But anyway, yeah. Gary's, if you guys have any takes on this whole SWE thing. Mainnet launches are exciting. They're often rocky. There's been very few that have gone off without a hitch. I know Aptos also had some issues mm -hmm. at launch. Uh, but yeah, the idea here, I think is that there's this new generation of more performant blockchains that court people with various programming languages that aren't Solidity and are obviously a bit more uh, friendly to Web2 developers. And that's sort of the pitch, right? And there's several chains out there that are making essentially the same pitch, and it's essentially that. Hey, we're faster, we're better, and we can get devs from the broader world rather than just those Ethereum nerds who code in Solidity, right? Uh, whether or not any of that will pan out is very much to be determined, right? I think Ethereum as the leading smart contract blockchain is looking pretty good. I mean, it has that critical mass of developers who are building stuff and launching stuff. But there are certainly these all L1s who are looking to get in on some of that euphoria and craziness that we saw during the last cycle with Solana and others, right? 
So SWE is certainly within that sort of cohort of chains that wants to be bigger and better. We saw some headlines that SWE is you know, allegedly a Solana killer, as Solana was an Ethereum killer when it launched however many years ago. So there's certainly this jockeying out there for apps, for users, for developers. And mainnet really is that, that go to market, that big, we are live now, let's do this thing. Certainly the horse race between SWE and Aptos is interesting. Uh, certainly the fact that they're both born out of the ashes of Libra is interesting, but it's really just going to come down to whether or not people show up and do stuff on this blockchain or whether this becomes another token that gets traded, flipped for a quick buck. I think a lot of people are speculating that that may be the case after this mainnet launch. And there's been obviously that jostling from Justin Sun and others to get in on this. But time is absolutely going to tell if any of these upstart chains have the staying power that we've seen from Ethereum, which is still early, still nascent. You know, there's not a ton of on-chain DAP activity on that chain even. So uh, certainly these upstarts are, are trying to position themselves for that next sort of bull cycle where people enter the space and do stuff. But hey, it's one to watch. It's probably too early to say uh, what the mainnet launch is going to foretell for SWE and their team. But Jan, I'll toss it to you. You know, I looked at this story through a bittersweet lens, right? I thought about all the layoffs we've been talking about recently, a lot of them coming from Meta. And it made me a little bit exciting to, to see what direction all of this new talent that's entering the job market is going to do. We're talking about these two rival blockchains, both have ex-Meta employees working on them, both trying to solve a problem that's been one the industry has faced for a really long time. You know, how do we get faster, cheaper transactions? How do we get steady fees across the board? And so I'm kind of excited to see what all of this talent who's entering the job market is going to do. There are so many issues to solve in this industry. And sometimes it takes people who have been operating outside of the industry, who have been building outside of the industry, who have worked on applications that have seen billions of users, who have worked on user experience for the everyday person to come in and look at problems through a different lens. And so I am just excited and curious to see what all of these meta employees who are entering the job market are going to do as I read this story. Zach, I think I saw your hand go back up. Yeah, I want to throw a question to Sam. I know we've seen a lot of stories about sort of the token speculator aspect of this launch. I want to talk about on the, on the dev side. I mean, what's the vibe? Like, is this pitch to devs, hey, come build here, resonating with anyone? Uh, is it something that is attracting teams? Or is there just so much dilution among these alt L1s that it's hard to sort of get that critical mass? Yeah, there's a couple ways to look at the, the dev side of this. I have heard good things about Move broadly. So um, Aptos and Sui both kind of took different tacks to the way that they're implementing that technology into their chains. And I've heard, this is broadly speaking, but I have heard good things about Sui relative to Aptos in terms of the developer experience. Um, but they are kind of similar things and they are competing in you know similar turf for similar developers. But Aptos and Sui are both kind of big, you know, backed by these heavyweight VCs in terms of their tokenomics, but also in terms of the incentives that they're going to give to projects to fuel their ecosystem. Ethereum did this to an extent, but you saw this to a larger or, or at least more visible extent with something like Solana, where they paid, you know, or I, I shouldn't say paid, but um, where they, you know, would reward grants and other sorts of incentives to developers to develop apps on that chain, on Solana. Now, this was positive in terms of recruiting developers, but left a sour taste in some investors' mouths and some others because, you know, it might incentivize bad behavior, sort of mercenary developers that come in, develop tech, and then leave for the next chain that has a ton of funding, but not much else. So there is going to be a question around whether these developers are 
actually organic and going to stick around because they like the technology or they just want those handouts. Uh, Zach, I saw your hand back up again. I mean, that's, I mean, I guess that's my main question. I'm going to toss it back to you, right? Like, is there appetite for another ride around the merry-go-round, right? Like, are we going to see the same Solana playbook that happened in that massive run-up that that chain saw with a bunch of projects building there, a bunch of TVL being attracted to that chain? Are we just running that back with like these new upstarts that happen to use Move, you know, rather than, you know, Solana's stuff? Like, I don't know. That's my main question. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. My personal opinion is it, it kind of feels like we are kind of running that back. I mean, I, I report a lot on the Ethereum community and maybe to take my opinion out of it, just to talk about what I hear when I talk to those Ethereum OGs who are a little bit more, you know, purist when they talk about these upstarts. And they do have a reason for that um, to kind of like, you know, look up or look down at, at these newer chains because they're so invested in this incumbent ecosystem. But anyway, that out of the way, a lot of these Ethereum people do kind of scoff at the Aptoses at the Swedes at the Solanas before for, you know, exactly what we were just talking about. They would say that developers are not actually going to stay in these ecosystems because that not only is the technology in their view not as resilient, proven, so on and so forth as Ethereum's, but simply the community is not there. So if you're going to build something absent those, you know, VC incentives, you want a community to be there to invest. And SWE simply does not have that. Aptos does not have that as a result of them being newer. And they certainly, by the way, in Sui's case, didn't help get new investors by kind of not shooting down the prospect of a potential token airdrop and then choosing to forego an airdrop. So you, you had a bunch of people who were farming or hoping to kind of farm for a Sui token, uh, you know, prospective community. But anyway, it didn't work out. They just let people buy the tokens and there's good reasons for that in my view, but anyway. Yeah, um, the lawyer, the, you. you know, a lot, lot of legal questions yeah. around whether or not yeah. is prudence uh, in this environment. I will say we did see a presentation from Miston Labs, the main creator of the Sweet Blockchain last week at Consensus. Uh, looked pretty performant and cool with the early focus on gaming. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Jen, take it away. All right, we are heading off to the White House, who's pushing for a tax that would see crypto miners pay an amount equal to 30% of their energy costs. According to an online post, the punitive tax would be implemented on crypto mining operations for the, quote, harms they impose on society, end quote. Zach, what do you think of this tax? Big bad Bitcoin out here. The harms they impose on society. Ouch. I know. I, mean, I, guess, I guess you could say like externalities, right? Like there are externalities associated with Bitcoin mining. And sure, maybe these uh, people should be held to account, right? These firms are big. They consume a lot of energy. There is a carbon footprint associated with consuming that energy. We've had this debate time and time and time again, uh, as Bitcoin gets discovered by more and more people, that proof of work mining is energy intensive. And so there should be some way that governments can intersect with this industry in a way where some of those externalities are covered by those who are producing them, the miners in this instance. Whether or not this is the way to do it, or whether or not this is just sort of looking to ban the thing outright, uh, under the guise of another thing, that's what is like to be debated here, right? Bitcoin miners are like notoriously, you know, sensitive to pricing, right? Energy pricing specifically. So if you're going to impose this significant levy on their work, it could effectively drive them to other countries. And maybe that's the goal. Maybe that is the intent here. And I think that's for people to debate. You know, this, this debate is not going away. The energy cost of proof of work mining is not something that's going to go away. And Hopefully there's some sort of common sense approach to figuring this out. I don't know if this is it or if this is just uh, 
know, Trojan horse way to get Bitcoin miners out of America altogether. But Sam, I'll toss it to you for your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, just briefly, it's interesting kind of trying to reconcile the SEC's implicit contention that all of these tokens are securities once they switch to proof of stake with, you know, broader government priorities, at least under this administration, um, to, you know, help the environment. And that kind of goes against. So if Gary Gensler thinks that Bitcoin is the one and only true cryptocurrency, well, then you kind of have to, you know, contend with obviously this environmental cost. I don't really have a viewpoint on whether a 30% tax is a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, if, if it is a priority of the administration to push things offshore, which it certainly seems to be, at least from the SEC side, this is a roundabout way to do that. And, you know, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, I don't know, but it seems like an effective strategy at the, at the very least. Um, Zach, again. Yeah, no, I really love that tension, like with, you know, Bitcoin is the one true non-security in the eyes of the SEC. So you have one part of the administration saying, hey, Bitcoin is the one true coin. And then you have this other side of thing saying, OK, proof of work is bad and evil. And we're going to push these people off with excessive tax burdens. So it is this sort of, uh, I don't know, schizophrenic approach to regulating the industry that I think the U.S. has long suffered from. Yeah, I share the same sentiment as both of you. And I think like there are so many other industries that are doing so much harm to this planet that don't see the same kind of taxes. And the report points to this. They say that crypto mining does not generate the local and national economic benefits typically associated with businesses using similar amounts of electricity. A little tidbit here, the tax if crypto miners decide to stay, would raise up to $3.5 billion in revenue over the next 10 years. And my question here is, I, I think, well, for me, it's obvious that this is, you know, going to push miners to look at other jurisdictions. And Sam, Zach, I wonder if either of you have any predictions, any insight into where miners might go next. We've seen them kind of hop around the world as tax and legislation have clamped down on them in different jurisdictions. Now we're in the States. Where do they go next? Wherever energy is cheapest. That's what they'll <laughs> tell you, whether through economic incentives offered by the government or by excess hydropower. We see these operations move to wherever it's cheapest to get power, right? That's sort of like long been their contention, right? If there's cheap renewable energy, that's where we're going to go. It's, a, it's simply a key aspect of whether or not they're able to make money or not doing this thing. I think going back to the economic impact that you alluded to, Jen, like you're right. These things don't create jobs, right? These aren't warehouses that employ constituents of politicians. They simply are giant warehouses that are securing a global network of decentralized internet money and sometimes making the pro-social argument for why that should exist and why it should consume this energy is difficult because there's not a lot of that human constituent level impact that politicians are attuned to speaking on behalf of. So I think it is a problem that the Bitcoin mining sector is aware of and is going to have to tackle. You got to say, okay, here's why it's good that we should be consuming this energy in the first place. And sometimes I think it's really hard to make that case, especially at the local political level. But hey, Sam, what's up? Yeah, I mean, um, one quick note, we should mention that the broader context upon which this is all happening is one where a bunch of overeager crypto mining companies ended up borrowing money to buy or just bought a bunch of new equipment that is simply not being paid for by the incentives and the kickbacks that one gets from mining Bitcoin. And so adding a 30% tax on top of that will stretch these miners really, really, really thin. So, you know, this is just one more thing for these cryptocurrency miners. It's not just happening in a vacuum and it's going to be hard to operate one of these you know, facilities in the U.S. regardless of a tax. 
Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. Let's talk about some meme coins, y'all. We're talking about Pepe coin. The coin with Pepe the frog on it is bigger than Dogecoin and Shiba Inu in terms of volume because people, they have the Pepe coin fever. Meme coins are a big time feature of the crypto world. They're kind of like lottery tickets. They don't really necessarily mean anything and that's just the way they are. But sometimes these meme coins, they surge in price and trading and volume and attention, capitalizing on everyone talking about them, such as us. All right, let's talk about this phenomenon. I'm going to put Sam on the spot. Pepe coin, what's going on? What's happening? What's the smart thing to say about this? There is nothing smart to say about this. <laughs> and let's, let's start from there. I'm sorry if anyone's disappointed. A couple thoughts, though, um, or maybe just one big thought is it's kind of been interesting during this lull in not only the crypto markets, but broadly in terms of innovation in the space recently. I mean, you can argue with me on that, but we haven't seen that much that's flashy and brand new recently. During this period for the industry, we've seen sort of some familiar faces come back. One of those has been the airdrop, um, like we talked about with SWE, which didn't have one, but before that with Arbitrum that did have one. That was kind of the thing that people were talking about that week. There was also a weird speculative NFT period that we had a while back before NFT prices kind of crashed um, after NFT NYC about a month ago. And now we're kind of seeing another familiar face um, in the name of Pepe and all of these meme coins, where in the absence of anything else fundamental to kind of talk about, you're going to see people gambling with their crypto. And that's what I think we're seeing here. We need something to talk about and somebody's making money. Um, Jen, I, I, maybe you, 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 you know, have some thoughts on, on who's making money here. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think back to when Doge was surging and, and people were aping into Doge at the wrong time. They got wrecked. People were like taking out loans and they thought they're going to FOMO in and they're just going to become millionaires off this silly dog coin. And now we have a frog coin and it rhymes. And so that's fun. But like, I want people to remember <laughs> back to that time and maybe take a few lessons away from that. So I went searching for some more information, just other than this is like this fun meme that means nothing. And I came across a BlockWorks article this morning that pointed out three things that people should be aware of. So one was that CoinMarketCap is still ranking this in the 2000s and keeping the project on page 27. A spokesperson told BlockWorks that by default, all unverified market caps are ranked in the same ballpark. They went on to say the situation is fluid and they're trying to gather more information. Then the article pointed out to a Twitter thread from April that pointed out these whale accounts that gobbled up, I think it was just under 10% of the tokens at a very suspicious time. So could these be insiders? We are not sure. And the last thing the article pointed out was a security audit that identified three risks that could point towards a honeypot. So I just hope that if anyone is deciding to ape into Frogcoin and get on this FOMO train, that they are careful and have fun with it and just do their research and learn the things. And that is my take on this. Zach, I'm kicking it back to you. 
I saw Sam. He was going to say something smart, so I'm going to toss it over to him. No, I wasn't going to say anything smart again. Um, but something positive. I will say, I do kind of like these meme coins in one way, which is that, yes, like these ones literally might be scams. Uh, and I shouldn't say I like them, but relative to kind of the, the more frenzied period that we saw about a year and two years ago when DeFi was really, really reaching kind of a fever pitch, you would see things that had like ostensible mechanics behind them. You would see the Terras of the world. You would see so many of these like farming coins and like just like the whole farming epidemic or craze <laughs> that we saw um, that time ago. There was an idea that there was actually some fundamentals backing those things. Whereas in this case, we know that there is not. Even if it's a scam, it's the Pepe coin. And so people realize that they're gambling. And I think that there is a risk implicit in that. I hope people don't get screwed over, but this is at least better than pretending there's something behind it. I don't think anybody's really trying to do that. Maybe I'm wrong. Zach, what do you think? It is a bit honest in its emptiness. Uh, we are seeing a bit of a sell-off, actually, that's been about 10% down over the last 24 hours. So maybe the beginning of the dump that comes with the pump, we shall see. But yeah, people are still talking about this thing and hopefully having a good time with it while the party lasts. But hey, who knows? Be safe out there. Don't put more than you can lose into this thing. Many people have been burned in the past. All right, Jen, I'm tossing it to you. Take us to France, shall we? All right. So in Europe, lawmakers are thinking about how to further regulate crypto advertising. So in France, the French National Assembly is seeking to ban social media crypto promotions, while a Senate committee is suggesting that social media influencers should be allowed to promote registered crypto companies. And separately in the UK, the government is set to ban cold calls to sell financial products, including crypto. Sam, I'm going to kick this one off to you. The cold call thing is crazy. I can't imagine someone calling me and being like, hey, buy this frog coin. <laughs> but what do you make of uh, what the lawmakers are doing in Europe? Hey, let's ban all cold coins, um, cold calls, uh, cold coins. I don't know what those right. are. Ban those two. No, um, let's ban all <laughs> cold calls. I hate them. They really bother me. And I think they bother all of us. I say let's. Hopefully they do it here. But I guess they're going to do it over there, too. Anyway, get rid of all of that. Then to the influencer side of it, I find that these influencers nine out of 10 times pick up on the, the meme coins or not, if, if not, um, you know, directly meme coins, you think of like the thing that Kim Kardashian was talking about. That was um, like ETH Max. These were like basically scams that a lot of these influencers are picking up. And I think in an environment where um, their, their teams or where this stuff is brand new and people don't understand it, that's a trend that we're going to continue to see, which is people influencers picking up on these projects that nobody has a way to understand. And it's going to be really rare that they actually find the good ones to promote, whatever those good ones are. So I think this comes from a good place. I think it is weird to kind of single out crypto because all of finance has sorts of things like this, but also you don't see, you know, anybody. Well, I don't know. It's just hard to find an equivalent. Whatever. Zach, what do you think? I liked the education on, you know, which chamber of, you know, the French legislature is more, you know, laissez-faire when it comes to market activities and which one is more like, no, we got to crack down. I have this like low-key suspicion that France is trying to become more prominent in the crypto world. I don't have a ton of evidence to support this, but it feels as though there, you know, there's some prominent companies there, Ledger being chief among them, the hardware uh, wallet firm. Uh, and France has sort of softened, I think, its regulatory stance especially when it comes to the crypto advertising stuff. We've seen a lot of headlines about that in recent months about restricting what can be advertised and how. So again, this is that global dance, right? It's this global shuffle about how 
Regulators the world over approach this global technology that doesn't necessarily care about your state borders. And it's something that every country has a different approach toward. So we get to watch it unfold in real time in a very piecemeal fashion as some look to court the industry while others look to crack down. But that's sort of the big picture that I see when I see headlines such as this pop up. But Jen, tossing it to you. Yeah, Sam, I, I want to just bring us back to the FTX saga for a second. So we talk about celebrities pumping meme coins, getting behind meme coins. But there are a lot of celebrities who attach their names to FTX there. And, you know, we thought this was a good project. We thought that this was an exchange that did right by regulators. We thought all of these things and it ended up not working out. Now there are major class action lawsuits against the celebrities. And I can only imagine that countries like France are looking at these class action lawsuits that are happening here in the United States and coming up with how to prevent that from happening in their own countries. So, so looking at exchanges that are already registered with the, with the regulator and saying, oh, celebrities and social media influencers can promote these projects. I don't know if, if that's going to solve the problem because we thought that FTX was, was down with the regulator. Sam, I saw your hand go up first. Just like a sentence is like regulating it or not, I think that most celebrities, certainly big ticket celebrities like Tom Brady, are not going to be promoting crypto regulation um, in the US or France or not. Like, you know, it's not a good look right now after everything that happened. Zach, um, to you. Taylor Swift. Shout out to Taylor Swift. That's all I got to say. All right. That's it for the show today. Check it out. We're going to do some Fed stuff later today. Jerome Powell, he's going to raise your interest rates a little bit. That's expected at least, maybe a quarter point. You can watch that live. Go down here on Coindesk TV at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Shout out to Jerome. All right, that's it for the show today. I'm Zach. We have Sam. We have Jen. We're The Hash. Check us out on the podcast network. You can listen to us there. Lots of other great stuff there as well. We're glad you're here. Thank you and bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>